This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
I came up with the, the name ELO Projects, which is how it started, um, I guess, can we just launch into it? Let's do it. Okay. Welcome, Sean slash ELO. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how'd you. How'd you come up with the name? Yeah, so, so let's see. I had set out as an independent artist in 2014. And prior to that, I had been kind of developing a story for a game that was based around a protagonist named Elo, and he was kind of a, you know, cyborg, um, Pinocchio type of character, I guess, saved the world and all this stuff. He had to go on this whole process of retrieving his soul and rediscovering um, kind of his organic roots and realize that his family were all these kind of like archetypes manifesting at the end of time. And so anyway, um, uh, that character, Elo, was actually based on my son, Rain. Mm. Um, and Elo Projects was the website I set up to kind of document the process of creating this story, right? Okay. Um, but the amount of time that is required to be devoted to a game or, you know, fleshing out a story is massive and setting out as an independent artist requires that you have clients. And so quickly ELO projects kind of pivoted from being uh, like a storehouse or, or, you know, a diary of some sort to being like a hosting platform for all of my work. Mm -hmm. um, and it started out with like a lot of, you know, uh, design marketing shit and then went through to like, like video game stuff. Mm -hmm. And ultimately like my heart is aligned with like visionary artwork. And so right. I was pulling naturally more and more in that direction, wanting to make that work more and more and like working with clients to kind of move them in this direction bit by bit. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do it at all. How can I bring this in, in some way? Um, and it was all about creating like a holistic feedback loop for my work. So mm -hmm. over time, um, I ended up kind of like, uh, triumphant in that case. Um, mm -hmm. I was able to turn down client work that I didn't want to do focus solely on creating album covers and, um, you know, visionary commission pieces of artwork for, for people who come out of the, the festival culture and all of Wonderful. that. Wonderful. How, how old were you when this, when ELO was born? Uh, ELO, ELO was born in 2007. Okay. Um, in a, in a, a small animation for, a, for a class, right? So I was probably what, 2007. How many years ago was that? 15? Sounds yeah. right. Yeah, so I was 25 years old. I'm 40 now. Got it, got um, it. Yeah, yeah. It it started to take shape um, at art school, and then mm -hmm. um, I just carried it through with me, and I never had any intention of, like, using the moniker ELO or anything. It just uh, – it actually, through, you know, periods of upheaval, that was how kind of, like, the enemy faction began to refer to me, and so I just <laughs> assumed it and, and – went with it so that's cool um, yeah that's that's how i'm known you know blockchain and i that's awesome. I essentially like that's that is my uh ip i guess uh mm -hmm. as far as like anything with nfts or, or blockchain yeah so anyway that elo also in this story was like um that was his name it refers to like his story is a is a spiritual one and you know 
there are parallels with kind of uh, traditional Christianity and, and, you know, <clears throat> try as we might to extricate the religion from the culture or ourselves from the religion, it has affected everyone deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are archetypical signatures and truths in all of that. Um, and I'm not sure that the people who are so quick to uh, set it aside really understand the implications of, of how deep, um, you know, that that spiritual discipline has affected their lives and, and all of our lives. So anyway, um, mm-hmm. Elo points to Elohim, which is the, you know, uh, it's a pluralistic name that mm. God uses to refer to himself uh, wow. in the Bible, right? Um, so, like, we are one type of uh, uh, perspective on the self, God's reflection on himself. So, that would, that would be, yeah. you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the, the feminine uh, aspect of the divinity. That's um, awesome. And so, the, the I am at the end creates the the plural. I just dropped that. I'm like, oh, that would be a good name for like a little savior Pinocchio deity. And, <laughs> um, and it's also an anagram of the word whole. So it implies fullness there, are, you know, there's all this stuff. And then, um, so, so Elo in the, in the story, he starts as a boy, he's bitten by a serpent mm-hmm. and goes into a coma. Uh, his father is like this, you know, incredible, uh, inventor and he's got ties to like, this the the government on the earth that's you know behind all of this gnarly shit that's going on at the end of time and you know you find out it like it's all it's all it was sophomoric and a little bit cheesy but um you know calling out parallels trying to illustrate how um power brokers uh manipulate uh events and, and things like that right so so elo as a cyborg you know, th- that name is an acronym for electronic lucid optimized humanoid. Right. Dang. Um, so, so playing on those two things. And, um, like I said, it was never my intention to assume that role. It was mm-hmm. like a thing I was, I was making. Um, and then my, uh, those less than, uh, kind to me, it just started calling me that and I'm like, okay, whatever, let's just go with it. So <laughs> that's funny. It reminds me of it in game of Thrones. Have you ever seen game of Thrones? Um, um, I, I've never spent any time with it. Probably shame on me, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well familiar with it. Yeah. It's a great series. I know, I know it's polarizing, but I just remember um, uh, Tyrion Lannister said, uh, when your enemies call you a name, take it as your own and then no one can ever hurt you with it again. So that, I don't know, <laughs> a little cheesy, but thought I'd throw it in there. But you said bitten by a serpent. Yeah. And I do notice there's um, in several of your pieces, this serpent energy. Um, yeah. I was curious, what do you, you know, believe that the serpent represents? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Why was Elo bitten by a serpent and uh, these types of things? Cause it seems to have a big kind of play yeah. In the medicine world, in the spiritual world, of course, Kundalini and things totally. like this. Totally. Um, yeah. So, um, interesting. I mean, I guess we can use the the Garden of Eden as as a starting point to illustrate this, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, there there were no animals that were designated as evil, right? Like, that's something that. Um, you know, it is relatively unique to Western thought, I think. Um, 
specifically Christian Western thought, the, the serpent as an, as a tempter or evil deity. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it's no coincidence that like, if we can't trust somebody that we refer to them as a snake or whatever, mm-hmm. um, there, there's something about, uh, the ideal nature of the snake that manifests kind of in these times as being, uh, untrustworthy or, you know, dangerous. I mean, you can't see them, you know, like, uh, there's a show 1883, um, and the narrator, the, the woman, um, uh, or the young girl, uh, in the show is discussing like God's territory, uh, as they're crossing Texas and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how brutally beautiful nature is. Um, and she's, she, there's this bit where she's reflecting on, um, like how beautiful, the, how beautiful the flowers were in the field. Mm-hmm. And then, and then how God hides a rattlesnake underneath that flower. Right. Mm. Um, and, and there's, there doesn't seem to be much, uh, distinction or, or high thought, you know, in, in the way that a, a poisonous serpent, um, reacts to a potential threat, right? Like a lot of them just try to get out of the way, but I mean, like they're not, you know, contemplating the mysteries of the universe as they bite you in the ass when you sit down to take a piss in a bed <laughs> of flowers, right? Um, yeah. uh, so so anyway, I, I don't know. These are just, you know, silly anecdotes, I guess. Um, the meat of the whole thing is I've got um, a strong affinity with snakes. Yeah. Um, However, they're not a creature that I would choose to spend my time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's like a projection thing. Like maybe I have um, that energy in myself. And so I'm kind of repulsed by it when I see it in the world mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't exactly, I don't exactly know. I just know that I've got this um, affinity with, with them, right? Like yeah. I was at the zoo when I was young and there was this massive rattlesnake, like the biggest rattlesnake I've ever seen um, mm-hmm. inside of one of these cages. And and I was just fixated on it. I was probably eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in the back of the cage. And I stood there and like, you know, my mom's like off over here, like, come on, Sean, come on, let's go. I'm like, hold on, hold on. I want to look at this thing. I mean, it was enormous. And it came down out of the back of the cage and then, and then crawled up like kind of like a Harry Potter moment almost it crawled up the front of the glass mm-hmm. and, and was just like perched up right in front of me. And wow. Like, um, the, I, I was transfixed it, essentially. There was, there was this, um, like bond that I felt with this particular, the, the rattlesnake specifically is like yeah. a totem or something. Um, mm-hmm. and, and through visionary journeys, like there's, there's a, an albino or a white one that, that kind of governs my gut. Um, and, but at the same time, I have this kind of like, uh, Christian, um, relationship to it in some way. Like, like I don't see a snake and I'm like, Oh, you know, let me handle the beautiful wisdom of this creature. I'm just like, get it out of here. Cut its head off. You know, like, um, (laughs) and and that's, I, I, I I don't really know why that, that kind of, gut response to that creature but i'm well aware of the implications of like high knowledge and wisdom and you know the the serpent as a as a symbol of the mystery schools and um you know essentially 
deep ascended um, enlightenment as to the true nature of reality, I think is what that animal as, as a symbol mm-hmm. of, of what's going on spiritually in the world. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm well aware that that is a thing. And at totally. the same time, it does seem to have this ability to kind of take on a particular energy that mm-hmm. other animals are less inclined to. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that is, I think what makes it untrustworthy. So there's this, there's this element of like kind of taming the snake, whether that's mm-hmm. in yourself or disciplining your gut, right. Yeah. Um, uh, disciplining other people and their responses to you, learning about how to, to respond to uh, instinct and fear in other people from a conscious place. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've been through plenty of this and, and it, it doesn't end up pretty necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm interacting with the world authentically now at 40 years old. I mean, it's taken a very long time, but I interact mm-hmm. with the world authentically and, you know, some people really like that and they appreciate that. Um, and, and other people don't, and that's not my problem really, mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you know, people can can come to their own conclusions as they want. And I respect that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I've, I've been accused of being a fascist and, you know, a racist, Nazi, all this stuff. Um, and I just don't care at all. Like, mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I actually have been through those ways of being right. When I was going through high school and stuff, but mm-hmm. in very unconscious states. Right. Um, mm. you know, I've had hundreds and hundreds of psychedelic trips and, you know, journeys around the world. And, you know, I've, I, I have uh, experienced enough to establish a coherent vision of the world. And, um, I'm not, I'm not really deterred by, uh, people's, you know, trivial mm-hmm. or fleeting or trendy opinions about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Like, I, like mm-hmm. I'm, I want to make artwork that, um, is legendary. You know, I, I, yeah. I want to leave a legacy. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, right. Like, like You're I doing it, up, man. it's <laughs> awesome. It's beautiful work. It's beautiful. Right work. I, I, yeah, I appreciate it. I got a long way to go. I mean, I don't have too many illusions. I, I know I have this drive that I, I want to sit at this round table with Alex Gray and Robert Venosa and Android Jones and, you know, mm-hmm. Danny Morante and Peter Grick and, you know, Luke Brown. Right. Like, like I have, um, uh, a really strong motivation to look at these people as equals because I do value myself and my experience at that level. Like, like without pride or, or hubris, like I, my intention is to create the most magnificent things that I'm possibly capable of. Right. And, and, um, you know, I've had to, I, I used to think that I was the greatest ever. And I also realized that I drank way too much alcohol, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I didn't produce hardly anything. I would just make something and then get fucked up and, and then stare at it and drift off into some stupor with all of these illusions about how wonderful it was. Um, mm-hmm. So at, at those points in my life, I actually was kind of under the influence of some type of illusion or, or, you know, maybe even like an evil spell or something. I mean, that, that, the mm-hmm. substance abuse and all that stuff is just terrible. Yeah. Um, uh, but like I've worked through that. There's a higher element 
in me that's kind of attracting or or maybe it's even beyond me or something mm-hmm. and it's it's like pulling me towards it and it's a very very long process and i've had to learn to be very very patient with myself and yeah. very forgiving of myself and um and you know that extends to to people around me you know um mm-hmm. it like seems I, like with a lot of the artists yeah that there's definitely like something some type of um divine realization that they're trying to manifest or something from the other side of the veil is asking them to manifest. Yeah, yeah. Um, you definitely it, see it in Alex Gray's work, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I think the sacred work of our time, you know, like when we look back at what's his name, I think Michelangelo, right. It's like back then that would give people a visions of what heaven was like, but this right. is a mortal man painting it. Right? right. So he didn't go to heaven and come back unless it was a visionary state, which I like to think he did somehow yeah. or another get himself into. Sure, sure. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's like this divine realization we're trying to depict so that people could almost understand the inspiration from within that artist as to why they're trying to create this thing. Um, yeah. And I making, did want- making maps. I think that's the great work of Absolutely. artists, specifically visionary artists. I mean, visionary artists like inherently utilitarian, where no other artwork is save for uh, you know concept art for a movie or or an architectural design or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, visionary artwork has inherent utility. Uh, authentic visionary art has inherent utility because it. Uh, it preserves knowledge. It pres- preserves gnosis, right? Yeah. And and all you have to do is see the world one time from that perspective to understand that the authentic visionary artist is telling you the truth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, got a number of questions here. Um, since we're on the the current topic, I'm going to jump into this one. But yeah, let's do it. Um, I wanted to ask: Is it fair to say that your work, or your artwork, is sacred? I wouldn't describe it that way, like okay. to somebody who was asking. Um, it it is to me the act or the gift of passion mm-hmm. for art is something that I take as sacred. That mm-hmm. that it's it is a blessing. Um, I don't even know that it's a curse really. Like maybe early on, it's, it's not like a double edged sword or something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe early on it was like a blessing and a curse because you, you, you have to open up this can of worms and then you open up another can of worms and another can of worms. And it's like <laughs> the worms never end. you you have to go through this process of, of, uh, surveying yourself. I, you know, I killed probably, 20 of my earliest paintings because I, mm-hmm. I guess I had matured to a level to where I was able to look back on them. And I'm like, there's no way I can leave this stuff on the planet as though it's representative or indicative of who I am. This is all garbage. This is all therapy. This is all mm-hmm. like, this is stuff that is between me and God, right? Like mm-hmm. this is not to inspire anybody. It's not indicative of my skill set. It's not in- really indicative of my interests. And so just murder them, like, you know, smash them over a rock or, you know, mm-hmm. stab them up or whatever, you know, just like they're gone. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's like that, that there was a transition. There, there was definitely a hard demarcation point at some point where I like kind of committed myself to, 
the the work, the road. Um, but it wasn't like, Oh, you suck. And now you're great. Right. It's like decades of hard work, you know, 15, 16, 20, 48 hours at a time, sometimes Mm. just straight, you know, grinding away on creating, um, evocative and provocative imagery that, that preserves, you know, knowledge. Right. And, and so, yes, that process now is sacred to me. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I could not like, not in my most ostentatious, you know, (laughs) drunken state, could I describe what I do as sacred to somebody else. No. Got it. Well, from my perspective, what I see is depictions of sacred realms of mind, sacred realms of consciousness. Yeah. Um, through my plant medicine and psychedelic experiences, um, you know, when I land in these spaces, I have this sense of reverence for the beauty, the, um, the sacredness of it. And then when I see other people depict it through artwork, I'm like, Oh, okay. They've been there too. They know what's up. They know there's another side. They know there's higher dimensions. Um, these types of things. And so, you know, I just figured I'd ask because I think it varies person to person as to how they kind of want to um, portray what that artwork means to them. Right. But to but to how it impacts me in my specific mindset is definitely like, wow, they're painting sacred realms. So, so well, and that's what, I mean, the art is, you know, um, the bridge to a relationship between the artist and viewer, right? Mm-hmm. But, but words used to describe artwork like that are reserved solely for the viewer, in my opinion, right? So if you are having an experience with a piece of artwork that, that evokes that nostalgia, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and certainly these realms are sacred, many of Mm -hmm. them. I mean, Mm -hmm. even like some of the darkest ones, they still, it's like, you try to dismiss it Mm -hmm. and you're immersed in this Gigarian like (laughs) underworld and you try to dismiss it as being evil or this is not happening or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can't because there is like this, this fingerprint, this thumbprint of God, like, you know, doing this work on you. And you're like, I, I just, it's just completely humbling. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I certainly welcome, um, and, and am honored that you perceive that in my work, you mm-hmm. know, um, Absolutely. but that's yeah. definitely, that would, that would be something that falls in into your wheelhouse. Um, right. For sure. You know? Awesome. It makes a lot of sense. Um, also, I wanted to know what is the story behind your work uh, or your piece Osiris? Because that uh, one in particular just strikes me to my mm-hmm. core. Just, Whoa, this is beautiful. This is mystical, Great. magical. It, it feels like, I don't know, like an ancient Egyptian visionary state where they were taking some type of ayahuasca right. that we don't know about anymore. <laughs> right, right. Um, something like that. So I just want to know what, what inspired that piece, Osiris, because it is yeah. just absolutely amazing. Thank you. Um, so one of my first jobs as an independent artist, I had a job working for a company um, that they made um, like back end software stuff for McDonald's and Taco Bell and like time clock and inventory programs. And like the, the dude 
who owned the company had like eight patents on all this, you know, software that he had developed and uh, just a brilliant dude that I, I worked there for about a year because um, I needed something. Prior to that, I was making video games full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came to an end uh, as that company shrunk. And then um, my, my friend uh, reached out to me and he's like, yo, if you need a spot here, I can get you in. You know, it's more money than I had ever made. And I'm like, let's do it. Um, <laughs> but it only lasted a year. And, and for good reason, I mean, I was, I was utterly uninspired by, uh, the work. So, um, Mm -hmm. so I was let go from there mostly, I mean, it was cordial, right? Like, uh, you know, I had a relationship with a CEO and a nice guy, but he's like, yeah, you know, this isn't where you want to be, man. You know, I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. Um, and that was kind of the kick in the ass to, to start out on my own. So mm-hmm. he came to me, um, the, the CEO of this company came to me and, and, you know, he, he has written a number of books and he wanted me to illustrate some of them. Um, and his daughter who was 13 at the time, they had taken a trip to ancient Egypt or to Egypt, um, mm-hmm. like maybe a year before or something as a family, they went and she was a super, you know, genius, uh, and had written her own book. Right. And so, um, her father who was, you know, my boss prior, the guy who let me go from that company, he's like, Hey, can you illustrate this book on ancient Egypt for my daughter? And, um, Mm -hmm. sure, sure. I can. So that was like one of my very first commissions, if not the first, um, as an independent artist. And it gave me the opportunity to explore, like, like I was saying, right. Like, um, you know, client work, I would pull as much in this direction as I could. So the cover of that book was, uh, a piece of mine called Kemet, which is like, like, you know, a mummy, you know, a risen, mm-hmm. he's got a DMT molecule in his head. So I was able to like stuff things in there, mm-hmm. um, that, that spoke kind of to my heart. Um, but within that book was this piece of Osiris that I had made. And, um, at the time, I thought it was amazing. Um, you know, she, she asked specifically for a depiction of Osiris. I thought the piece I had made at the time was amazing. And it was interesting because the people around me really saw that, that work as very cool. Um, and I, you know, time passed and I'm like, there's so much wrong with this thing that I just can't even believe it. And I've got to scrub it from the internet if at all possible. Um, Mm. instead what I did is I took that first iteration that was used for the book and, and put like a whole artworks worth of effort into it from there. Right. So that's what you're looking at now. So all of the little Pharaohs that you see in the body, um, Mm -hmm. those came out of that, that particular, uh, illustration job that I had. And I, you know, this, we're talking like a book that was published by a 13 year old, you know, it's not like it's, on the mm. shelves everywhere. And like, you know, I'm infringing on somebody's copyright or something. It was just a, it was like mm-hmm. a, a job, like a pet job kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so anyway, all of those pharaohs that you see, those were illustrations. I, I illustrated maybe like 30 of these little pharaohs, you know, quick little drawings and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I have all of these assets. So I took those and, you know, Osiris is like, um, I mean, Traditionally, mythologi- mythologically, he's he's the god of the underworld. You know, pure of heart. He he balances the uh, you know lonesome traveler at the end of the duat. You know, 
that sees whether their heart has been purified, you know, through their life and then through their experience in the underworld and weighs their heart against the feather. Um, he, yep. in, in Egyptian mythology, Osiris is revered as a, uh, a good deity, right? He, mm-hmm. He's just, right? So, um, you know, there are parallels between Osiris and, um, you know, the, the father God figure, the embodiment of the father God in Christianity. Yeah. Um, and, and Osiris has always been, uh, something, a, a particular deity that I've resonated with, mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. I don't know why, maybe it's the, the name itself. Like mm-hmm. I think actually his name, um, was pronounced Osar in ancient Egypt, like, oh, okay. you know, spelled maybe A U S. AR or something like that. Mm-hmm. Osiris is, you know, that's passed through like a Greek filter and, you know, right. handed down to us and revised and, you know, but the result of it is very compelling. The, the cadence of the word itself is, is uh, captivating yeah. just on its own. And then knowing the story about him, um, you know, there's, there's a, a particular power, I think that comes from that figure that mm-hmm. I was hoping to capture with this piece. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I wanted, I wanted his face to be like detailed to an extent that kind of boggles the mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but also when you, when you back out, you can tell that this, this is ostensibly an Egyptian piece, particularly Osiris. If you know what Osiris, you know, looks like, at least it's how he's depicted the particular symbology, all of that. Um, Totally. But I wanted to, you know, I, I, I'm obsessed with respecting my viewer. So, um, not everyone gets to see my work at, at, uh, large resolutions. Most of it's on the phone, on Instagram or whatever, maybe on Facebook or Twitter, uh, you get a full screen shot, but a lot of these things are, you know, made at like five to eight feet tall. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being obsessed with respecting my viewer, I want them to find, something of, of worth. If they take the time to look closely at a piece of my work, I want to meet them there and kind of, um, handshake, uh, you know, yeah. no matter what resolution they're, they're looking at the piece at. So, um, Absolutely. that's the reason that it maybe vibrates, you know, at, at the level that it does is because there was a, an entire version of this piece prior and then I took that version as my starting point. That was my blank canvas, right? And mm-hmm. then I spent an entire artwork's worth of time taking it from the first version to where it's at right. um, now. And so, um, you know, I, like a, another obsession of mine is digging so far into a digital piece of artwork that it becomes uh, fine art, I guess. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to like toss together some fractals that you had another program make and, and, you know, maybe not easy. I don't know. Everybody goes to different lengths with their artwork. It's a lot easier to stack layers and flip through, um, you know, layer styles to get them to blend together than it is to coherently, cogently um, create a convincing, consistent world Oh, yeah. with all of your tools in, in one place. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I spend a lot of time making sure 
that if I use a 3D model, that my painting skills are are the median point between uh, looking at a reference and drawing a face, you know, and a fully, you know, nicely lit 3D render, my painting skills have to be at least halfway as good as the 3D render, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you use like photographic textures in places, you need to be able, I need to be able to paint at the level of realism where Mm -hmm. I can create, um, let's see, like a, uh, a linchpin for all of my tools to revolve around, right? Wow. So my 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 painting skill um, that has been developed over time is the thing that brings all of my tools together and ultimately results in my voice, right? Wow. So so um, the the story of Osiris we've covered the the reason that it looks the way it does we've we've yeah. covered and also um, you know there there is plenty to suggest that a number of psychedelic substances were being used. Uh, in ancient Egypt, specifically by the Pharaoh, mm-hmm. um, you know, travel to the realm of, of the gods, balance Mott, you know, gain wisdom, right. come back in order to rule right. effectively um, and justly. So, absolutely. Uh, I believe like Pharaoh means priest king, uh-huh. and priest is, you know, a spiritual leader. Um, not unlike the shaman is in South America and, you know, the ancient past where they were the spiritual leader of their tribe. Um, so yeah, right. I would, I would think that the priest King would voyage into these, you know, visionary sacred realms of mind to bring back information. Um, right. absolutely. So, and, so also, also on that point, um, yeah. the, again, uh, Pharaoh being kind of, a, a bit of a, a bastardization, you know, on behalf of the West. I think the, what is it? Etymology? Is that the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for? I think so. Uh, the evolution of words. I, I, yeah. As I'm describing I this thing, I, I'm at a loss <laughs> for, uh, for the concept. Um, anyway, I, I, I believe that Pharaoh derives from uh, per-a, like P-E-R-A-A, which means house. Um, okay. And and the implications of that are are not quite so psychedelic, but but also descriptive, right? Like mm-hmm. like the pharaoh is is the home, um, which the kingdom you know uh, mm. runs forward from. I guess. Got it. Got it. Maybe it's almost like the energy of the city of the surrounding. You know, it's like this is the home of that king, right. and therefore, you know, it's yeah, that's his home. It's our home. He's right. the pharaoh. Well, well, the pharaoh, yeah, the pharaoh himself being a house, right? Like, mm-hmm. does speak to a very psychedelic state of, like, Mott, the the balance of the celestial and earthly realms um, is dependent upon the pharaoh's journey back and forth between those to to convene and converse with the gods and bring back that wisdom to govern righteously. Um, you know, a, a persistent and, uh, you know, very healthy or, um, hmm, I guess maybe ancient Egypt wasn't all that healthy at all these points, but that was the goal nonetheless. Yeah. It's hard to know, you know, because uh, in one version of ancient Egypt, we see 
thousands of slaves building away, terrible right. working conditions. And in another, it's magical levitating right. stones and magic, you know? So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. we don't know which one it was. It's, I don't know if we'll ever know. I wonder if we'll ever know. Are you familiar with the Tao? Tao Te Ching? Uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like we, we that is why you see um, an adherent of uh, that particular uh, lineage mm -hmm. of understanding the world, their entire life is about detachment, right? Their entire life is about removing the attachment to experience, sets of experiences, mm -hmm. identity, mm -hmm. uh, uh, surroundings, environment. It's all about perceiving and, yeah. and understanding that this is fleeting, oh, this is a bad situation. Maybe, you know, yeah. look at that bad situation turned into a good situation. That is That's a good true. situation. Maybe, right. you know, right. like uh, cultivating that ability to respond authentically from your emotional place, from your emotional intelligence, from a spiritual place, mm -hmm. from, you know, a psychological place, having an authentic interaction with the earth Right. Uh, and and with uh, uh, your time here is is hugely valuable, hugely important, edifying, gratifying, um, and and then also understanding that it's it's an experience. It's simply a way of yeah. of looking at the universe, you know, from your thing. That's your thing, and that's it. You know, mm -hmm. and then it's going to go away. And every single person that has ever lived, no matter if they died peacefully, if they died at the, you know, the hands of a tyrant, if they died as a slave, if they died as a, you know, completely hedonistic free man, mm -hmm. like every single person has passed. And so being able to look at things from a holistic uh, uh, perspective. Now, let's say, let's say you take enough mushrooms that you get this particular view on things, right? Mm -hmm. Mushrooms are not particularly kind, uh, especially <laughs> when you get down to, you know, the nitty gritty of like what, what it actually is. Um, mm -hmm. They're, they're ex extremely intimidating and extremely domineering and mm -hmm. very intent on um, assimilating you into their particular species worldview, right? Wow. Okay. Um, and, and like, that's what it is beyond like the magic and like the wonderment of seeing the world as a kid again. When you take enough and you get down there and you're interacting with the thing, what it shows you is that um, you will be doing this from now on, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, um, this is not a choice. And you can forget, but you'll come back and I'll remind you. Yeah. You now have a responsibility. Um, this is your pact essentially that you're making with this creature. Yeah. Um, like you are now going to spread this knowledge, right? That's hilarious, dude. Well, why do you say that? Because I mean, my whole journey with psychedelics started with a mushroom experience and years later, 10 years later, I'm still talking about them. I'm still on this Right. psychedelic renaissance and right. it was because of them yeah. right and it's like this is your path that you're about to take and i'm still on it so you're right <laughs> you're right um yeah it's it's like when when you meet 
the nature of the mushroom. And it mm-hmm. like, I spent a lot of time, you know, growing them and, and I wanted to get down to that thing that, that McKenna would talk about, like, show me yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's not exactly like a fun thing. It's not funny. Um, that's you know, serious. It, it resulted in like, you know, degradation of my mental state over the course of, you know, a decade, right? Like less, mm-hmm. maybe seven years or so. But there was a pivotal ev- event with mushrooms at 19 that took me literally no less than seven years to compile, to integrate, to extract the value from, to do away with the things that, that were not healthy or beneficial, and then to make a decision that I'm going to commit myself to, to something higher than the mushroom, right? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that is so meta that there's no more meta after it, which is, which would be God, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm going, I, I need to go past this particular cosmic, you know, knowledge and, and, you know, wonderment and all this stuff. And I just want to go here because I want my soul to remain intact and I don't want to serve anything else. I don't Mm want to serve a lesser deity. I don't want to serve a secondary being, um, Mm -hmm. no matter how many billions of years it has existed, no matter how much knowledge it has accrued across the, the universe, that is still a secondary being to the primary that I want to be close to, right? Mm-hmm. And it, th- that was ultimately the result of these these most powerful mushroom trips. Were like, I'm I, I I'm done, dude. Like, I, no, you're not gonna like take this from me. You're not taking my soul from me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I don't. I don't serve any of this. Like, this is about me and the prime deity. I want. I want that alpha and that omega. That's the mm-hmm. position that I want to be in, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that was a tangent. I'm not sure no, exactly awesome. where that, that came from. But. Actually, I'm interested in that because at one point I did want to ask you what was the the psychedelic experience that changed the trajectory of your life? And yeah, because for most people with plant medicines and especially visionary artists or musicians and people, podcasters who have devoted themselves to exploring this realm and, and sharing this information and uh, th- through their work, um, there tends to be some type of groundbreaking, ego-shattering trip with that they got a massive experience and download from that just completely changed the trajectory of everything that they thought they were going to do with their lives. That certainly happened to me and a number Mm -hmm. of people that have been on my show. So is that the experience that you're talking about with these mushroom trips at 19? Or was it before that? Well, I would say there have been been five... um, Mm -hmm like archetypal, completely transformative, pivotal, uh, psychedelic experiences that I've had that one, that one would have been maybe number two. Okay. Um, that one was probably the hardest hitting as Mm -hmm. far as like, you might you might not return from from sure. this like you might descend into schizophrenia mm-hmm. and 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 you're going to be mad the rest of your life right mm-hmm. um i would say the brush with crisis um it, it was it wasn't a brush it was a long fucking scrape with crisis mm-hmm. um that one was was definitely that archetype mm-hmm. um and 
And ultimately the thing that restored me was setting it aside in favor of something more powerful. And I know it's more powerful because I'm here talking to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it doesn't really matter like what people make of that. I would hope that if somebody is suffering their own uh, dissociation or whatever, that they glean something from, from that little bit, but uh, it doesn't really matter like what kind of value judgment people place on that, because that is Mm -hmm. my, my experience. Right. Yeah. Is it Um, kind of a traumatic experience? I don't want you to have to talk uh, about it if it's, (laughs) Oh no, I I, I don't mind talking about it at at all. Like it, it, it it was, it was, was it five grams? Five grams of shrooms? Yeah, heroic dose, heroic dose. I was 19 years old. I took it in the afternoon, which was a mistake. I learned later, like, the Mayans believed that uh, if you take mushrooms during the day that you go blind. And that's not like uh, I realized after the fact that isn't um, necessarily your, uh, your, your eyes. eyes going blind. It's right. that you go blind, right? Like yeah, you, your mind. You, you see wrongly. Sure. Um, and so I was, let's see, I was, what I was attempting to do was to build on the McKenna's uh, experiment at La Chorera, right? Like very familiar so, with it. Yeah. So, so they were all about like releasing the soul into hyperspace through this particular ritual that they were performing. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to take the heroic dose and then, uh, like launch off from, you know, sure. where they were. I'm, I'm going to take it as a real thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, it, it all started very well and good, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like gorgeous, you know? And I, I believed that I had reached the the paradise of Elysian and, and all this stuff, right? Like very yeah. interesting. Um, so so I, I was at my dad's house at the time and my grandma was living downstairs in a room that had built, been built on, on, the, on the back of the house and the cat had recently been attacked by one of these three American bulldogs that we had living at the house. So the cat was in a cage, all bandaged up downstairs. I was upstairs and, uh, Ethel was the, was the daughter, the youngest dog. She was the Mm -hmm. daughter of the two, uh, alphas, you know, in the house. Um, and I mean, these are like 140 pound, you know, bulldogs, right? So, so both, the male and the female like loved them beautiful relationship. Ethel never wanted anything to do with me for some reason. Um, and so I had taken these mushrooms and I was downstairs and, you know, walking around, they're coming on and I walked up the stairs and, and normally when I would walk up the stairs, Ethel would be laying at the top and she would get up and run into the bedroom and she just stayed there. Um, and I sat down and I was able to pet her and I could see this, like, you know, this beauty, in, in this creature that I had never seen before. You know, I thought she was mm-hmm. just a skitzy little shit. Right. <laughs> um, and, and she just stayed there and let me, let me pet her. And we had this moment and I was like on the fast track to paradise. Right. Like I knew yeah. that, that I had merged the worlds. I mean, this is five grams. Like there are people who yeah. take fucking 30 grams, you know, I just don't understand it. Me um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, so, so, you know, it was all well and good, beautiful. And I just assumed that like I, my soul was going to pass 
from the world and all was going to be well. And like all the other people were going to come with me. I mean, it's huge illusions. Right. Um, and so I, I walked upstairs, you know, by this time it's like maybe four in the afternoon and I'm walking around and I'm just feeling it like, like this is just as the mushrooms are coming on. Right. Like I have no idea what's in store for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so I make my way back downstairs in this state and I go and I see the cat, uh, sitting in this cage. My grandma is sitting in here. She, the, the door's open and I'm looking down at the cat and she's kind of like, like, uh, like her eyes are all closed and you can tell she's, she's, you know, hurting. And I'm in this state and I'm like, I, you know, I'm going to let the cat out. Right. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're on our way. Like the cat's going to be healed. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to let it out of its cage. We're going to free all the souls of all the cats, we're going to free all the souls of all the captives, you know, and with this one act that that I'm performing with this cat of just pure faith, pure trust. And, um, my grandma's like, what are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to let the cat out. She's like, like the cat's hurt, you know, you can't let it out of the cage. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, that was the moment that things turned, right? It was the seed of doubt was implanted into my mind and and for good reason right because i wasn't thinking clearly um but the seed of doubt hit and like looked outside it's a beautiful sunny afternoon and you know you know when you see the environment shift like the atmosphere shifts maybe it's like a cloud or some you know something some mist or something you know right uh, passes in between the sun like everything just like Mm -hmm. and and got kind of dull outside right and like and then that enhanced the that feeling, that, that doubt. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I started to become a little bit overwhelmed and I walked outside and I walked around and I'm like, Ooh, man, I'm going to, I'm going to jump out of my skin, you know? Um, know, and trying to walk it off, walk it off. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go back upstairs. You know, I gotta go in this room. Like I can't be like this, you know, mm-hmm. if somebody comes home or whatever, like I just gotta go. And so I walked back in the house and, you know, my feet are starting to get really heavy walk up to the top of the stairs as I'm walking this time, the dog takes off. Right. And, um, and so like, it was all these things that the environment were communicating, was communicating to me. That's like, this is going to get bad, you know? Sure. Um, and so, uh, I walked up to my room, um, like you walk in and the window is on this wall. My bed was just below the window. So like the, the light from the afternoon was coming in, you know, onto my bed. And I, I, it was really disconcerting. I noticed like how dingy everything was just like, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just lay down and like, you know, it's at that moment, all you can do, like when you realize that you're so far in that you can't do anything to stop it. Um, but time is just like ticking by, right. And like all of this stuff keeps happening more and more. And then you get that fatigue where you're like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> yep. like this is not even started yet, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and it was getting like, like ugly and like ugly visions. And I was starting, you know, like you try to keep your eyes open and you're like, oh, it's so, and you close your eyes, but you can't, you know, mm-hmm. like closing your eyes doesn't do, there's no relief, you know? Um and I started to see like these like tentacles, like they, they were like citrine or something, like kind of orange crystalline, you know, you get that yeah. 
that feeling in your joints. It feels like, um, like a, like a citrus, you know, like an orange has been squeezed in your joints or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it, like just feeling very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, I, I don't know exactly how things got from one state to the next at this point, but like, I remembered looking down at my pants at some point, you know, and I could see every single fiber in my jeans. And then, and then there were just these rows of like golden Mayan glyphs, like coming out of the, the fiber, the fabric, like the little twists in my jeans, um, the weave in my jeans, every single little, you know, hole, it just started pouring into my eyes, man. And like, that's with my eyes open and then close them. And there's, there's no distinction. It's just like, the scene gets a little bit lighter or something with your eyes open. Um, but it, it all completely disturbing. And, and so, you know, like the environment becomes the same with your eyes open, eyes closed. Right. So it doesn't matter. Like, and I yeah. know that I'm in a space, I know that I'm in a, in a room, but the room is now covered in like these gelatinous, like intestines are like weaving through the walls and, and they're pushing right. these like, Giger looking babies through they're all like oil slick and like the the intestines were like like seize up and it would push these these things through like like shits you know or Jeez. something um and and they would feed out and like it was like this wall remained in my room mm-hmm. and and i could see my body uh with my eyes open i could see it you know i wasn't wearing shoes i could see my feet and then i closed my eyes and like I was, I was like laying on my hand at one point and my, my fingers were like twitching. Mm-hmm. And as they were twitching, they were hitting the side of my head. And there was like a click, like Morse code, like something was being transmitted. Mm-hmm. When I closed my eyes, like all on this side that I was laying on, I was all like a gray alien. Like my, you know, my fingers, my, my hand became like one, like a thumb and opposable thumb and then two fingers. And these fingers were like tapping this message into, into my head. Yeah. And then, I, 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 you know, over time you, you understand what the environment is actually doing, what it looks Mm -hmm. like. So these intestines that are pushing these three, these things through are, they come back and they attach the, like my brainstem. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this, these taps from, you know, this gray alien that, that is my hand now tapping this message is like sending pulses of information, something communicating to me. Wow. Into my brain stem, and then my brain is like like pushing these these little Giger fucking babies out of the back of my brain stem into these intestines, mm. and these things are going through, and and then they they you know expand out into space, and then there was this this is what like the mushroom actually is in in mm-hmm. in my experience. Yeah, uh, it's it's not like a, a bunch of little elves dancing around. Yeah, it is that, but it's like this other thing, right? It's an it's mm-hmm. an intelligence, a, a consciousness, a being, and and it has like it. The party starts when when it can reveal itself to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's when you're paralyzed, and it gets to do its thing, right? And yeah. and so I realized that all these things, these babies that were being pushed out were like little bits of myself mm-hmm. and they were going into these tentacles that, that attached into this, the back of this enormous head. Like, I don't know, wow. it wasn't like a human face. It was, it was like a beast. It wasn't even a face really. It was like, like kind of gray alien looked like me, you know, in this gray alien state, 
very, very beastly, very serpent-like. It spoke and it hissed when it spoke. Um, and, and it had like, it was like dreadlocks or something coming out of the back, but they were all, you know, like kind of like avatar, like they were part of Mm -hmm. its, you know, organic makeup. It wasn't just hair. Right. And these tentacles, you know, or what came into the wall and they came around and attached to me. And so it was like, I was part of, I was like, uh, an ex- expansion of this thing. And so yeah. it was talking to me and I don't know how big it was. Cause like the room just became the cosmos and it's, it seemed enormous, right? Like not like a hundred yards enormous. Like, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't even know. It was just it, it fucking enormous, mm-hmm. bigger than planets, just huge. Wow. Um, and so it's, it was like telling me like, you know, like we're going to explode your son. Um, and, and I could see the, the, you know, our star, like, like boom. Wow. And, um, and it's, and then it was, and then it started like into the whole like God thing. Like, and, and this is where I realized that like the mushrooms play on who you are, right. And, and your, your faults, right. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily intent on enlightening you. But they they give off this like odor, this pheromone or something, this psychic pheromone mm-hmm. that that kind of dissolves your ideas while revealing a new idea, replacing your conception of who you are with its conception of what you are, mm-hmm. and then and then pastes it over with uh, this oneness thing, right? Yeah. And so it was speaking to me. Uh, as though we were the same thing. Like it would refer to me and it as us. We are doing this. We are now here. We are going here. And, and that part of it is so disturbing. Um, and so, mm-hmm. uh, so disturbing. Yeah. Um, and so it launched into this whole thing and it's like, open your eyes. And I open my eyes and I look at my feet, you know, and I'm, I'm like relatively like lanky and I felt very, very tall and, and it's like, you know, it launches into the like play on the ego, right? Like you're, you're the one, right? Like you're the son of God, right? Like you're mm. the thing, you know, it's all about you. And the reason that you're here in the world is because eternity is agony. And the only friend that you have is chaos because chaos, though it is you, uh, is uh, the part of you that you don't control. And so it can, mm-hmm. uh, it can be perceived as something other than you. Right. And so your, your Satan, uh, is your best friend essentially. And I am Satan, right? Like that was the thing. Like I am your Satan and I am manifest through this particular character who's in your life. Um, at the time who is like a mentor of mine, like I am this thing and I am manifest here. And I knew you before you had this experience through this person. And that's why you were brought in contact with this person. And now the enlightenment starts and you as Jesus are mm. at the mercy of your chaos, which is your only friend and your eternity is without heaven. There is no heaven. It is simply agony, cold, loneliness, agony. Every single person you see around you is yourself and, and you will never escape that. You can step into the world and hide yourself and hide yourself in all of the people and you will return to the state where you realize that all of these people are you and you will return to your agony. And that is what the death on the cross is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, God is 
simply a figment of your imagination. You are, you know, you are the son and the father and, and everybody around you. And you choose to embody yourself in the world. And the reason that there's suffering and pain in the world is because your existence in eternity is agony. And so you can never ever remove suffering from the world. It simply is as it is. Any happiness you experience is, is, is you uh, uh, mystifying yourself. You've, you've mm. set yourself up with a, a, a sequence of illusions that has brought about a feeling of being happy or complete. But the truth of the matter is that you are in fact all one. And this is agony because it's pure loneliness. And I remember myself like, like thinking, I felt like, like Adam taking, you know, Adam and Eve taking the, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And, um, and like, so, so it's like this time in 2001 or whatever it was reaching back to like the beginning of this story. And, and so like now you, you've fallen, now you're, you're experiencing the fall. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's playing on all of this kind of Christian conceptions that I had of the world. Um, you know, but it was all very matter of fact. It wasn't like the Bible's a lie. You know, it wasn't oh, like, no. oh, you need to practice Hinduism or something. It was like, no, this is all your story. And um, I'm just telling you what it means now. But you're actually like an alien and you are me and I am, you know, the God of death and suffering and you are that, but you're hiding yourself as though you're some redeemer and and you think and all of this just complex of just you know wow. shit and it just went on and fucking on and on and on and on and yeah. and then you know i'm just weeping i was i was paralyzed i, I mm -hmm. could not move completely plastered the bed just weeping no time no sense of of i gotta do something is this going to end you know, like none of that matters. Just, this is the raw truth of the universe. And, and, and that was that. Right. And so, you know, obviously finally, you know, I tried to pick up the phone, call my mom at one time. Uh, and she's like, well, you know, I have a, I, I have something for you that I'd like to give you on Tuesday. Right. And, and I'm like, no, no, you know, like, I don't need anything. I don't want any gifts. And, you know, and, and, you know, later it was pointed out to me by a friend of mine, this is many years later, He's like, that's like the most uh, astute thing that your mother could have done in that moment mm -hmm. is give you a sense of time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to give you something on Tuesday. Right. And I'm like, I don't know what day it is. But, right. it, but in some way, it was like a little bit of like anesthesia or something right. that like gave me a sense that time was passing. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was like all of these people are just in time and they're all, you know, whatever. So yeah. anyway, that's that. I didn't control that thing. I didn't, you know, it, it was, it felt like something that was done to me. Right. And so we can move on from, from that. I think I've described it relatively reasonably. Yeah. Um, so I, I went about my life for the next years believing this, you know, yeah. this was my experiential evidence of the way that reality was right? right i it was immediate it was like a direct message from mm -hmm. a thing and and it and and you know it was not like going to church and having the word of god you know 
given to you out of a book by some dude who has a drinking problem or whatever. Mm. It was like, like utterly convincing, utterly convincing. I, I had, I had no way to get outside of myself and the way it had set it up was that it was impossible to have anybody verify or, or D, um, demystify or, or, you know, debunk or whatever this experience because it's so internal. Right. Exactly. And so, um, I, you know, time passed and like, I just had to like, you know, I tried to talk to people about it and like, yeah, they're like, yeah, okay, dude. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and like, I would notice there would be times where people like, wouldn't listen to me or something. And so I'd, I'd get very like egocentric and like, like try to push it on them and like, like mm-hmm. I am this thing, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's psychosis, right. Yeah. Absolute complete psychosis, mm-hmm. um, personality dissociation, like, uh, schizophrenia, full auditory hallucinations. I mean, this manifested over the years as like hearing booming voices out of the sky, like wow. telling me to get in my car and drive it, you know, a hundred miles down the freeway and fucking slam into the center divider or whatever. Right. Wow. Like, like, but at the same time, it would also do things like, I'm like, you know, simple. I need a post office. Right. And, and, and then I'd hear this voice, go left, go right, go left, you know, in some unfamiliar part of town, go left, go right, go around here, boom. And I'd show up at the back of the post office. Mm-hmm. So there were like these things that were reflecting reality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then I, I'm like, okay, I'm going li- to, I'm convinced. I'm going to listen to the voice. I'm going to, I, I know it, this is God. I'm going to listen to the voice. I'm going to do the right thing. You know, like believing the whole time that I was just going to be sacrificed at the end of my life or something. And, you know, it was all going to end in a bloody mess, but at least all the people would get to believe, you know, and I would feel self-righteous that I, that I, you know, was crucified again or whatever. Like this is all the narrative that was going on in my head. I, you know, I lived this, I, mm-hmm. I lived it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, over time, I, uh, a little bit of doubt seeped in. Right. And I read, um, a course in miracles, you know, I, I had reached total paranoid state, uh, at one point, um, you know, after my grandfather passed away, he left me uh, a little money that I went to, uh, South America, took ayahuasca. And, and that was the ayahuasca was probably the start. Well, no, it started prior to that. There was this relationship with Christ that was manifesting but the ayahuasca was kind of a demarcation point that was another huge experience um but yeah the, the ayahuasca showed me that i had value actually to other people like i had gone so many years with my imploding on myself mm-hmm. um telling myself these stories while my life got worse and worse right yeah and so it was, it was very uh interesting like you know, all these people have these wonderful stories about how psychedelics changed my life. Yeah, like, the, yeah, they'll fucking change your life, man, for sure. You know, <laughs> right. Um, wow. Like, so, so I, you know, I, I ended up in, in Brazil, took the ayahuasca, had an amazing time there. Um, like, mm-hmm. also very, very brutal, very interesting interacting with kind of like the soul of my grandpa. He was like an atheist dude. And I, I resonated with him and this other guy who was getting like totally fucking tortured and all this stuff. And, and, uh, interesting parallels, uh, anyway. Um, but I realized there that I had some type of value and it was like, there was this selfless thing that I wasn't getting. I was very selfish, self-centered. That was what the whole mushroom trip was about. It's all about you, dude. It's all about you, all about you all day long. Right. And, mm-hmm. and ayahuasca pulled me out of that so that I, I, 
it was just an act, right? Like I, I was waiting years and years to take ayahuasca. I finally made it. And then somebody else needed help. And I found myself not being able to enjoy my trip that I was looking forward to because I, I needed to tend to this person and help them. Mm-hmm. And so I sacrificed something selfish in favor of something selfless. And that was an, an act that was a truly selfless act that I yeah. was not familiar with in, in my life to that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that helped, right. Like help change, uh, kind of the course of things. So, um, all this stuff happens. Um, I've been waiting for DMT. This is a couple of years later. Um, still in this process, I read a course of miracles, spent some time with my grandmother who introduced me to it. What course of miracles taught me was that like, yeah, you are all one. Like everybody is, you know, the son, the son of God, right? Like, like mm-hmm. we collectively are one and you, and it was weird, dude. Cause it was talking specifically to like the, the, state that I was in, like you are just seeing things wrong, you know, Mm -hmm. like, yes, you're right. Like literally. So this thing was supposedly channeled by this woman and it's the voice of Christ. Right. And so it's like 669 pages of like Christ reiterating these things. You have made an error. That's all that happened. You need to stop beating yourself up for making an error because you're a human being and you're flawed and you don't know shit about mm-hmm. anything because your head is up your ass and you're in this fucking distorted timeline, but it's okay. And as soon as you get that, it's okay. You'll realize that it's all okay. Right. And and it just kept just hitting this thing home. And I loved it. I, I felt fantastic like reading through this whole thing because it was helping me, you know, but I, but I, it, there was a dream I had, um, and I, I, you know, I often had visions of like being constricted by, by, you know, a snake, python, anaconda, frozen in blocks. Like I'd be walking, you know, along a strip mall at night or something and then just get this panic state, fight or flight, because this vision would overtake everything, just being like, like frozen on a block of ice or something. Um, and so I had this dream. I was at my grandma's house and uh, a different grandma than I, in the story before. Thank you for bearing with me. I know this is long. No, this is, wow. Um, this is an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> All right. So so I had this dream and I, I was in this dungeon. It was like a miry dungeon, like all mud and shit and circular. And it was like at the, at the bottom of this tower in this castle. So it's all stone. All the stone was covered in moss. And, and there was an enormous snake in that place with me. And um, I was, it was totally lucid. And... Um, the, the, you know, the snake starts coming towards me, like that experience I had uh, when I was a kid, right, with the rattlesnake. So it's the same feeling. I'm standing on this side or this, you know, extremity of this circular room, and the snake's on the other side, kind of coiled up, and he uncoils, and he starts coming towards me. And I just, I'm like, fuck, you know, here we go again. And um, I, I saw in the center of the room this, like, kind of distortion. It was like, just like a heat signature or something. And it oh, caught my boy. eye because it distorted the snake behind it, distorted the other wall caught my eye and um and i became fascinated with it i focused less on the snake and focused on that and um and then i i heard this voice uh what i found out later in the bible is called the quiet voice right like that's okay. that's the voice of the spirit right and uh so it's no sound not audible at all but uh impression and it's clearly distinctly words that it was speaking um and it just asked me if i was done like are you done right yeah and uh and I knew what it meant, like, just like, like went to the, my heart, man. 
like, are you done? And I knew what it meant. And it like, I was like, Oh my God, dude, like I've been doing this to myself, Mm. you know, like this is all me inflicting pain on myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like I'm, I'm fucking done. I'm done. Yeah. And, and it was like authentically, like I'm done. I cannot take any more of this. Like it, it, it's too much, you know? And, um, like okay and it it, it was just this impression of like i knew what i needed to do which was like i needed to step down off of this throne i had i had allowed myself well first i had put myself up here just self-centered childishness egotistical you know i had set myself up on this throne you know i couldn't be created because i'm i'm i am the most important thing in the universe right and then the mushrooms took that and put it on steroids right Mm -hmm. And I was living that thing out and not, I was totally denying the fact that my life was getting worse and worse and worse. The more I adhered to, I was the God thing. Yeah. And that was what it meant by, are you done? I mean, like, are you ready to step down off of this thing? You've been allowed Mm -hmm. to sit up here and it hasn't gone very well. Right. You know? And, uh, and I knew that that's what it meant. And I said, yes, I'm done. And, And like the wall opened up behind me, I stepped in. And it was like an elevator that went up and then brought me back into consciousness. And, and this that is all was a dream, that, right? This is a, this is a lucid dream. Yeah, got it. Got it's it. Not psychedelic. Uh, I mean, very psychedelic, but yeah. just a lucid dream in the afternoon one time. Um, and that was the the turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, was was that that moment right there? Wow. And so I went and um, uh, lived my life. I was married at the time, or no, I was not married at the time. A lot of things happened. This is a couple of years later now. When okay. DMT finally showed up. And um, so I was getting better at things. I was like trying to mm-hmm. figure things out, but I was still like going through the Bible and like highlighting all the contradictions. Like, yeah, right. This, yeah, right. That, oh yeah. What is this? Oh, you can't wear two. You can't wear two of the same garment. Oh yeah. How old is that? Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and still taking this approach. Like I needed to prove something to, to somebody or, or I had this beef with, you know, the Christian God or something. And I, looking back on that now is like this mushroom trip was like, really, that was about me. Like, like the, the, the dark side, that Satan side, like that was what I was doing. My ego was that thing. Right. And, and so I had set myself not just like on the throne, but like, I was like actively like, like throwing elbows, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, like, um, a verse to God. Like I had made a, a pact with the dark or something. Mm-hmm. And, and so what God was showing me is like, look, there's only one place and you can take it if you want. Cause I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not about that. Like, if you think that's what you want to do, like you go ahead and do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized that I had set myself up against this divine order and that was the source of the affliction. Right. Wow. And, um, and so over time I, 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 you know, I had these DMT trips finally, like I, it was like out of nowhere, man. It was just the time. Well, the why very, would you feel safe doing DMT after all of this? You know? Uh, yeah. See, you were so just like, like, I need a change. I need. Yeah. I think what people like outside, like, it's a good question. And I, and I do want to relate it to like a larger audience here because there are some people that will listen who are familiar with kind of what I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Like when I say like, you don't know me, right? If I have a problem that I'm confronting in my life, like social media or something, there was, this, you know, all this upheaval that happened. 
Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what you're saying. You know, you don't, you don't get to just, you know, call me a fascist or whatever in public, like, and, and not because like it, it's really, really offensive to me or whatever. It's just that it's so ignorant. You, you don't know mm-hmm. anything about who I am. You don't know anything about me. And so as soon as you run, I, and I don't really know why I'm relating it. It's just this culture is very, very fickle in a lot of ways. And we're not willing to take the time to, to dive deeply into anything. It's all got to be sound bites. And, and sure. so anyway, that in relation to this, like why in this state would you take DMT? Because that is how aggressive I am. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, um, I don't mean that like, like, like that is the, the animal part of me, the, the, the urge to overcome ultimate fears. Like, I don't know if you'd ever catch me skydiving, but if I, if -hmm. it was put to me, like you have to skydive or you're a complete pussy, you know, (laughs) and like everybody's going to know it or something like if I, if I really had to skydive, I would skydive. Right. But I don't want to, I don't want to at all. It's just one of those things. It's just, I, with psychedelics, it's different because there's, there is stuff in there that is so incredibly valuable and you know, it's valuable and you know, you're going to have to earn it. Right. And, and so that part of me didn't ever change. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. like it's like, yeah, okay. You get your ass kicked, but you don't just like stop going to work. Right. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like you have, you, you get a cold. Okay. So take a day off and then return to what your purpose is return. So, so th- the psychedelic experience is, is intimately related to my sense of purpose. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's the answer. Uh, so, wow. so the very first vision I had, I took three hits of DMT, uh, and I, um, I, I, I got it and I'm, you know, my wife at the time, she knew all about it or whatever. And I'm like, uh, maybe I'll just start with like one or two hits or something. She's like, no, you fucking pussy. You, she's like, you are going to take all three. And she's like, I'll do it first. You know, like thinking that she knows. And that was uh, amusing. Um, so anyway, I, I took all three in, you know, silent darkness in my room. And the very first vision I had, it hits, you know, like that, that 15 second mark. Like as you're going through the third hit, just boom. I just heard this gong just and I, and I saw this cross show up and it was all just immaculate, just unbelievably complex, like woven vines, like all in like platinum or I don't know, adamantine or something. I mean, it was just unbelievably beautiful. Right. And all these jewels in it. That was my very first vision on DMT. And, um, and, and then I passed through that and went into this cavern, uh, very interesting, like unfolding rose petals, and then they turned to stone and I passed through that and came out over the center of the, the Milky Way. And I mean, just unbelievably serene. Um, that was the, the first thing. And, I, and I, I had this experience of timelessness where all of a sudden I was able to see things, I think, a little bit more clearly. Where I was like, oh my God, like, like Christ is a real thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not you. And like, that's so liberating. You know, right. that was the first, that was the first, uh, resolution that DMT brought. This was another one of those trips that, that changed the trajectory. I could see it all of a sudden, like I had done enough work to, 
to, since that dream, I had done enough work to set myself down to submit to experience just enough that like all of a sudden I could have a vision on a, a substance like DMT at the, at the peak of a DMT experience and have that time go away and have it not be terrifying and have mm-hmm. it not be agony and have it not be worthless. Right. Yeah. And, and I just saw like all, all I have to do is realize that like, I'm a created individual. I'm a created being. I didn't right. create myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't create other people. I didn't create the universe. I didn't do any of that. None right. of that is my responsibility. Boom. <laughs> Knock yourself down. Yeah. Like that's a hard fucking process, you know? Totally. And totally. and that is that's the beauty I think of the psychedelics that people talk about, right? Yeah. It's like realizing the proper level structure because mm-hmm. there is order and there is hierarchy and you can't do away with that. Like no matter how hard we try to undo, it's going to reorganize itself into a pyramidal shape. And that is archetypically the structure of empire and consciousness for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. And we are not the I up here, right? We have the opportunity and the gift and the blessing of seeing from the top at times, right? Mm-hmm. But we didn't make that. That's not the, the eye of providence is not our eye, right? Right, right. That is the eye of God. And yeah. we are somewhere down here. You know, mm-hmm. and each stone in that structure is valuable for the integrity of the structure, right? right? So, so this was the first time I was able to see the levels correctly, and and I understood like happiness. The key to happiness is um, a, there's a level of servitude to your life. There's a level of servantship that y- you. Are, you're not the leader of anything. You're not the leader. You're not leading anybody anywhere. You're not, you, you don't even know anything about where you're going because there's nowhere to go. All you're supposed to do is realize that God comes first and God is the, the, the generator of experience. God is the generator of existence. God is the animating force behind all living beings and, and, it spans the entirety of the whole thing. And that's God's business. That's not your business. Mm-hmm. You know, that's God's business. And maybe you'll be welcomed into the throne room at some points and other times not. But it's, you don't get to go like slamming on the door demanding, this is how shit should be. And this is how my life should be. And mm-hmm. I demand you do something. That's not how it works. It'd be like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, what? Oh, okay. Tell me about your problems. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see, that's not how things work. And that can be described in any number of ways, infinite variations of that particular message. That's not how things work. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that, you know, things are, it doesn't mean that there aren't, uh, you know, it's not a pantheon of gods or thousands of other gods, right? Like, doesn't mean that Krishna isn't real. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, Kali, and we're not in the Kali Yuga. It doesn't mean that reincarnation doesn't exist. None of, all of that stuff is irrelevant as uh, to, to this particular Revelation, which is simply that you don't dictate anything. Right. You are an experiencer having an experience, and and there is God, and there is a a manifest representation of that for you. Maybe for somebody else, it's it's Krishna or Vishnu or or 
freaking, you know, um, Shiva or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But for you, your intercessor is this embodiment of Christ. And so if you understand that the work has been done, that's what the cross is symbolic of, right? It's the work being done, transcendence of death, right? You are not required to take the weight of anything onto your shoulders because this, right? This event right here, it means the work is done, which means that you now, no matter how you die, it could be vicious, vicious death. Mm-hmm. Your soul is now intact and will be preserved because it's perceived as worthy, right? And that doesn't mean that just because my soul is preserved, it doesn't mean that somebody else's isn't or whatever. I don't know what the parameters of hell are. I just know that it has something to do with elevating the ego to the level of creator, right? There's some aspect to that that results in anguish. And, and, and that's all I know experientially. I can't tell you what historic, you know, historically valuable elements of any particular book are. I don't know. I'm very familiar with a, a lot of different things, but what I know is that my happiness comes from, uh, the, uh, the state of being secondary to a creator and aligning myself as frequently as I can with that results in wholeness and beauty and abundance, no matter if money is coming or not coming, it's, it's abundant. It's, it's fundamentally abundant because God exists first and your experience is generated because of something that created you. And, yeah. and that is the key to my health personally. That's the whole yeah. resolution of, all of the psychedelic trips that I've, that I've had in my life is that you are allowed to, to be happy. You are allowed to exist on equal ground with the greatest among us and the least among us. You're allowed to have experiences. You're allowed to, to identify with your family lineage that goes back through Northern Europe. And yes, they're all white, you know, and there a lot of cisgendered people had to happen because in order to bring me here. And that's okay. It's not for anybody else to place any kind of value judgment on your unique state. And so I, I try to extend that to other people, um, to the greatest extent that I have. That's my servantship. And I think that that may be where a lot of, um, folks get me wrong or get others similarly wrong is that nobody's trying to force anybody to do anything here. There's mutual respect, but that doesn't mean that I have to do things your way. I'm mm-hmm. allowed to be as whole and as fulfilled and as beautiful as my life is intended to be. And I want the same for you, you know? Yeah. And that is the whole of the mission as far as I'm concerned. Wow. What a ride, man. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> that. that. That definitely sheds a lot of light as to, you know, why you have thrown yourself to be so involved in in this artwork um, depicting these heightened, you know, states of consciousness and having gone through so much. Um, it just makes me wonder, like, is mushrooms something you've sworn off or have you microdosed since then? Or is it something you would never touch again? Or how do you feel about mushrooms now in hindsight after kind of reconciling that initial experience. Yeah, I think um, I think that you need to have an appropriate amount of discipline. And if you don't have that discipline, then you should be guided by somebody who does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to have a strong 
um, openness to change. And you need to understand that, that really, really hard work is not something that you're going to integrate in a week mm -hmm. or the afternoon after. And um, hard experiences are okay. And, and um, gnarly shit happens mm -hmm. every fucking day, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, I've, I have taken plenty of smaller amounts of mushrooms since then. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've had maybe three, I guess what you could consider heroic doses. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them were in like combination with other substances. So, but except mm -hmm. for that one, that was the purest of them. Yeah. Um, mushrooms are, I can take a very small amount and, and have reality um, utterly distorted. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't feel particularly attracted to them at this point. Like I used to worship them in some way mm -hmm. as like, like a total sacrament. And yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily like not the right way to, to, you know, treat them. Like maybe they should be venerated in some way, but, but they're also an extension of something that's, that's greater. So um, mm -hmm. when I take DMT now, like I will, uh, you know, I have like big, King James Bible, like I open it up like an Oracle, like I kind of know where to open it up, mm -hmm. read that particular passage. And then I'm like, you know, if you want to go to Australia, right, you buy a plane ticket to Australia. If you want to go to China, you buy a plane ticket to China. You don't try to go to Australia with a plane ticket to China. That doesn't right. mean that you're going to control your DMT trip or any psychedelic trip, mm -hmm. but you'll be a lot better off if you get through security with the right plane ticket, right? Very true. Um, so, so I will... Any any powerful experience that I'm going to have is going to be in the context of the faith structure, yeah. um, in context of my my role in that hierarchy of uh, beings, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, remaining open, I think, is is a huge one, right? Like mm -hmm. like understanding that though time slips out, like you're experiencing, right? And and like if you don't come back, like that is okay, you know, because you're, you're in the hands of the divine. You cannot, you cannot escape that. Mm -hmm. And, and so kind of perceiving psychedelics, perceiving life in general, perceiving fatherhood, um, you know, being a better husband, being a better son to my mother and my father, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, uh, fixing all of these things is why, I'm, I'm still here, right? Like I probably mm -hmm. should not be here. I think I've been cut off a number of times, like, like actually dead. Um, uh, had experience of drowning, you know, before I took ayahuasca the first night in, in the Atlantic ocean. I mean, like literally went through the whole process and boom, hit, hit a barrier and it sent me back in. I think maybe mm -hmm. it's a time shift or something like a timeline shift. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how that works, but there have been a number of times where I'm like, Oh, that was the end of my life. You know, mm -hmm. that was the end on that particular thing. And like, here we are. Um, you know, I think that realizing that the whole of eternity is about, um, the experience and the, the glory of God and the mystery of experience 
there is no bottom to it. it. It's not like, oh, you've done it for a thousand years. You know, you're getting close now. It's like, <laughs> here, here, here. This one took you 10,000 years to uncover. And mm-hmm. here is this thing that you're searching for. And it's like maximum, just boom. That is, that is it. That is fantastic. That is the best kernel, you know, deep, you know, result, gift, treasure mm-hmm. that magnifies and puts into context everything that all the work that went in to uncovering it. This mm-hmm. is it. It's worth it. And then it's like, okay, so you beat the game. You beat Diablo, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're in campaign mode or whatever, right? <laughs> and it sends you to this thing. And now there's this whole new set of things, the mystery and and the beauty and the unfoldment of of God is eternal. And yeah. and that process entails all of it. So the the ups and the downs, the peaks, the valleys, the rattlesnakes, the hawks, you know, that uh, that um duel between them, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, obviously symbolically, but like all of this stuff plays out in as many different ways as we can possibly imagine. And Mm -hmm. that is the beauty of it. That is the beauty of it. And the only thing that we don't do is set ourselves as the prime thing. If you set Mm -hmm. yourself as the prime thing, the prime thing is like, okay, do it, you know? And then Mm -hmm. shit unravels so fucking fast and, Eventually you're going to get, you know, set back in the right place because we are not meant to do that. That's not our responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Connecting with, with it, loving that, being in, in the presence of it, um, communicating it, sharing it with other people, all beautiful things. But as soon as we set ourselves up here, you can do it maybe, you know, like, I don't know what Hitler did it for however long, 30 years, 20 years, whatever, however long he fucking lasted, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, there are characters on this planet that we share the planet with who have this conception of themselves. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, they will be cut down to their rightful place. And, right. and you know, and that's just a matter of time. I don't, I don't know that there's a whole lot that we need to do to make that happen. Um, I think we need to slam the creative pedal to the metal and work on meta levels um, with our art, with these podcasts, like sharing long form conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like there's what Socrates said, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't affect change by attacking the old. You, you just build something new, right? Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. that that's the big lesson culturally, at least in the West and the United States, among psychedelic people. Like, certainly they embody it to a great degree. I mean, festival, you know, culture, high art, like all this music, like that's it, right? Like that's it. But then there's all this other stuff that comes with it where they think that they have to be involved with politics in order to make this shit. It's like, dude, politics are like 10 years, 50 years behind where you're at. Yeah. Like that has nothing to do with you. You know, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. dudes are doing, they're like, you cannot get them to change anything. Right. All you can do is make it so utterly beautiful, whatever it is that you do, that they're like, 
oh shit, I'm, I'm a fucking <laughs> dummy, you know? Like, where right. have I been? Like, why didn't I catch up with this shit, you know? It's the right. same thing with blockchain and all this stuff, right? It's yep. like the, the advent, the event horizon of all of the coolest shit is so far beyond like power brokers and politicians and all these all these people mm-hmm. like even scientists right like i mean as magnificent as the tools are that they've created the results of our understanding or their achievements and and the the benefits that we experience you know medical yeah. technology all of this stuff still like i don't know why they've got to reach into the realm of like the spirit or consciousness it's like that's not your business mm-hmm. you know it's like doctors are great at you know bandaging up a broken arm but then you ask them about nutrition and how it affects health and and like it's just not their particular realm you have to go to a specialist for this thing the artists the the musicians the creatives the 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 people who are engaged with the divine and 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 experience like some some are all of those things i think luke brown is probably that type of person Mm -hmm. right like he's an artist He's like a, a guru, you know, though he would probably, you know, shriek at that mention. Um, but he's but he's so immediately engaged with synchronicity and the way that life plays out. Like, like he's just holding the balance, you know, for mm-hmm. for God knows how how far the power of somebody like that reaches, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think being more clever about how we conduct ourselves as psychedelic people, as activists, as all this stuff, right? Like, like, you know, I am not anybody's enemy, really. You know, mm-hmm. there's like, like people are not my enemy. If mm-hmm. I don't want to be around somebody, then, you know, I'll give them like some chances and then I'll be like, dude, this isn't working out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you got to go or I got to go or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's really easy to do that, you know? And you just gravitate towards the people who are, working in line with you and maybe that's temporary maybe that's long term whatever right, you gravitate right. towards those people and then you magnify your ability to accomplish and and that is the meta right mm-hmm. like you, you have to remember that the the government has a monopoly on violence right mm-hmm. and they're fucking devious as fuck right not necessarily out of any malice or whatever just like it's a power preservation you know instinct right yeah and so like like we look at these advancements culturally or politically, and then you get politicians catching up and pandering and speaking all of the, these, these terms that relate, you know, that like I, I fall for it too. Right. Like you, you want to believe that somebody's so far ahead that they're like really getting you, but they're just not, (laughs) they're not, they're, they're like, you know, the impending financial collapse and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but you know, like we don't know what's going to come of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be like the new world order and slave camps and all this shit. Like we're already enslaved to, to our you know meat suit and all of the <laughs> demands of us and eating and all this stuff. Like we all mm-hmm. have enough of that to deal with. Like, like things are going to work out. Okay. Because there is order. Fundamentally there is order mm-hmm. and, and it's okay to go through long periods, even eons, of, of witnessing chaos and polarity and all this stuff. It, it doesn't matter how long that period lasts because yeah. the order will always uh, move before and after it. Right. It, it, mm-hmm. it is, it is paramount. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, so, I got. I have a question. Um, yeah. Now, do you think that the like the visionary artists, musicians, culture, um, architects, are they? Do you see as them as like building the, a new paradigm? That we're yeah, going yeah. to like start to live in rather than this paradigm we're talking about, like sure. the old money, the old power yeah. control systems, these types of things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't know that like the, the culture at large is going to adopt Burning Man like as a, a default state or something. I mean, Burning Man mm-hmm. is a novelty that, and, and it is what it is. There's a reason that it goes away after a week, right? Sure. Um, you know, but, but other cultures or other festivals and, and offshoots and, and, you know, just angles of this whole perspective that have become extremely robust, mm-hmm. um, you know, they show up every year or however, however it is. Right. But there's kind of this ongoing process now around the world where there's always a festival season somewhere. Right. And I'm not even right. like a great fan of festivals. I honestly like, like, I've been to a number of them and it's like, okay, you know, cool. I, I love the music. I, yeah. I, I like, like them for three days, but I yeah. don't want to go every <laughs> yeah. weekend, you know, yeah, right. like, you don't want that to be your, your unending reality either. Right. Like, yeah. It's, I mean, if we're honest, um, some people do, but, uh, I like being able to sit at my desk mm-hmm. and create, you know? Yeah. There's un- a stillness that comes with yeah the the studio the home Absolutely. Absolutely. you know able to be in control of your time and rather than just yeah all, all the hustle and bustle of the festival culture yeah um, they're peak experiences right but but it absolutely to answer your question it is a new paradigm like mm-hmm. because you know john next door or whatever is doing the same thing in some way maybe not right up your alley you know maybe he's not totally advanced in all the ways that you understand this whole thing, mm-hmm. but he's doing his own thing. And eventually because that meta um, calculation or, or that yeah. algorithm, right. Is, is reaching across consciousness and it's reaching into people's lives and it will become normal in right. some way. Right. And also age, and- age phases paradigms out as well totally. so Absolutely. the people that are in power now are going to expire right. and right. we will be the people that are older and we're going to have a much more open mind and right. these type of experiences under our belt and then the kids of course hopefully are going to see the value in that and then right. that paradigm will continue to kind of infiltrate the lifestyles of americans and the worldwide community because i certainly think it's healthier to have a type of reverence for nature Mm-hmm. Um, a type of reverence for creativity, spirituality, meditation, peace, harmony, all of these things. And that leads me to my last question here, which is like, out of all the spiritual traditions and things you've explored, where have you kind of landed and, and found a home, if you have found one, yeah. through not only going through this crazy experience with the mushrooms at your at your younger ages, um, to your DMT trips that then kind of changed the way that you uh, kind of had a relationship to the divine. Mm-hmm. Um, where have you landed as far as like spir- any spiritual traditions or are you kind of making your own or what kind of resonates with you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like a living Christian, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like 100% heart married to Jesus Christ, like 100%. 
mm-hmm. like fundamentally it's the glue that keeps me healthy and keeps mm-hmm. me sane and inspires love and it's where my creativity comes from i am married to christ right mm-hmm. um you have a piece called it's arising right yeah 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 and does that have anything to do with the presence of Jesus coming into your life? Cause I think Issa is a, yeah. is an Eastern name for Jesus. Yes, exactly. Very good. Um, yeah. So that, that piece is also, um, uh, well, subtitled or maybe the, the metadata of that piece is the id, the ego and the super ego. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's also kind of like a map of consciousness in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you notice like, like how it's structured. So the hawk um, coming forward, or maybe it's an eagle or something like that. That would be the ego, right? Pushing forward, pushing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the face at the top in the background, like the yeah. environment splits and that thing is connected right up. But you notice that it's not like a part of the self that's like coming down and, you know, it's it's a, a map of the consciousness and that face that is all in light is looking up into something right mm-hmm. um and and so like biblically you know the idea of manifesting christ in oneself right like like the acceptance of the act of the cross and i really appreciate you listening to this because i don't share it too frequently um uh so so here, here's here's the beauty of the thing that the whole crux of the matter, the cross of the matter, the the point of the entire story mm-hmm. is that death resurrection moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's it is God in in flesh going through the process of death, experiencing that, going all the way down, inseminating the underworld in some way, and returning to life in that body to, to transcend. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this, uh, spiritual mechanism aligning oneself with that and saying, Whoa, okay. I am, it's not, not a belief thing. It's not like I'm blind to it. And I'm like, I believe that someday, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be rich. Um, it's like, I understand the mechanics behind the spiritual function of this act. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying that it's real. I'm saying that spiritually, fundamentally, this thing is real. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to debate how that happens. I don't know how any, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't care. I don't Mm -hmm. care about the scientific veracity of it. None of that matters to me. One iota in this particular instance, this perspective, it's Mm -hmm. that I'm saying I'm married to this act of sacrifice Mm. on my behalf to preserve my soul, to preserve our souls, right? Mm. Um, I'm married to this. I'm utterly grateful for this. And I I fundamentally know it to be true. It's, I'm saying, I'm going to get off the time wheel, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So we're on this carousel. I'm going to step off of this after this point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step off and I'm going to move to the next level or return to my ancestors or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get off of the ride, 
you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what this is for me. And I, and I fundamentally uh, take this to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just not up for debate. I, it doesn't, it, yeah. I don't know why anybody would try to debate something like that. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind or, you know, like, like mm-hmm. I don't know to, to what extent, you know, uh, aligning with, with Vishnu or Krishna uh, as his avatar um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know the effect of that. It could be the same exact effect as what I'm talking about, right? Like, like it's a, it's a, an array, right? Like God mm-hmm. goes out in all directions. I don't know, I don't know that like me getting other people to believe this thing is something that I am tasked with, right? Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. mine, right? Um, yeah. And and so uh, the biblically, there's this term or adage or paragraph or saying, right? So the, on the cross, the veil of the tabernacle was ripped, was ripped. Mm -hmm. So the tabernacle is the inner sanctum of the temple that used to be, you know, guarded by priests and priest class and hierarchies of priests and priests and more priests. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they were the intercessors between God and the common man. Right. And, and the act of the cross, like, uh, tears that inner sanctum open and -hmm. reveals the heart or the nature of God to common man. And so aligning oneself with this uh, most beautiful sacrifice and the demonstration that uh, it, it is overcome, right? Like we, we, we really want to harp on like the, the, the gnarly parts that's so disgusting. Like, yeah, but everybody's doing that, right? Everybody's sacrificing, right? And the, the mm-hmm. nature is like gnarly, right? So the, mm-hmm. it's like big deal. <laughs> you know, that's part of, <laughs> that's part of the story. It was gnarly. And still, yeah. it was the transcendence of it, right? Like I, you know, God is saying, like I, I am doing this because I love, I love. That's 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 my my heart, right? Holiness, holiness, the purity is the number one attribute of the divine, right? Mm-hmm. Love is the thing that it does. So it's not like, oh man, I'm you know, I'm returning to love. Like that doesn't really make sense kind of, you know, in some way it's not, love is not really like a characteristic of the divine. The divine is holy, right? The divine is purely outpouring creativity, Mm -hmm. pushing it through all of the archetypes, all of the crystalline, you know, fractalized mirrors that create experience, that hall, that illusion uh, that is Maya, I guess. Um, But the central deity, the Mm -hmm. central force that pushes through that manifests pure, 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 purely pure. Um, that's its first attribute is holiness and love is something that it does. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, yeah, that, that's the answer to the question. I'm, I'm fundamentally uh, Christian. I, I believe I love with my whole heart, Jesus yeah. Christ, mm-hmm. uh, saved my life and restored mm-hmm. my mind. And, um, and literally I would not be here without that thing. And oh. I believe, uh, or use that word, that there are a number of things that have been arranged. Well, it's not, it's not a belief. It's, it's this way that it worked. There have been a number of things that have been arranged, some of them very dark, some of them mm-hmm. very hard, that have ultimately resulted in, in that final uh, adherence, that marriage with this particular thing. I've seen the zaniest, craziest shit in my mm-hmm. life that something like 
I, I, I couldn't take something like a death on a cross by a God, deity, savior, and a resurrection as being fundamentally important or true. I could not take that seriously uh, without having been run through, you know, and backstabbed and betrayed and betraying others and dealing with the consequence of that and ripping a part of your mind and meeting cosmic, you know, Satan deities and all of this shit. I could not take this as being fundamentally true without any of those other things, right? Right, So uh, this is where I have landed and it's where I I intend to move. Uh, I'm aligned with it as I I grow, my spirit grows Uh, through that act. The, you know, you're gifted with this Holy spirit. It's like, kind of like a, okay, so you had this thing before. This is just for me. You had this thing before that animated you and you realized that it needed to be this big, right? So, through this act of submission and realizing that you are incapable of accomplishing anything really, cause you suck. <laughs> like <laughs> that's basically the, you know, the, the result of life is you come to the conclusion, like, God, I really suck at like so much stuff and critics of Christianity. Like, Oh yeah. Well, it's just about guilt and shame and like how bad you are and all this stuff. It's like, well, no, that's the conclusion that you come to with enough experiences that I just fucking suck at so much stuff. There are so many things that I am not good at that I bumble through that I, you know, trip over and I just am not really all that great at anything, but I have this gift and I believe that gift is sacred. I believe that gift is divine, which is the artwork. And, and I'm, and, and I, I know where it comes from. And like, once you get back to God, right? Like all of the other stories and the myths and stuff, they disappear, right? Mm-hmm. That thing is just, is what it is. Um, but as far as like manifesting in time and the way the hierarchy goes, it's like, like, here's me. And then there's like the spirit mm-hmm. and then there's the intercessor. And then there's the personage of God. And then there's the thing, you know, yeah. and that's, that's the correct hierarchy, um, for my experience. I love that. I love that. Wow. Super well explained, man. Thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Uh, absolutely way more in depth than I thought we were going to get today, but I I love (laughs) that. And that was probably one of the most, you know, insightful psychedelic journeys that has been on my show. And, And there's been a bunch of psychedelic journey talk on my show. So just, I really appreciate you bringing that that authenticity forward. So thank yeah, you. Brother. Hey, I, I really appreciate the time, you know, and thank Absolutely. you for reaching out, you know? Absolutely, it's, man. Yeah. It's an honor to be here. I, I've known about time wheel for a long time, man. Mm-hmm. I'm Excellent. glad, man. Yeah. Thank you, bro. So where can people find your work, um, your handles, your website and whatnot? Yeah. Um, Elo projects. That's E L O H projects. One word, um, mm-hmm. com is website. There's, front page is going to be like all of the work that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some stuff that isn't there. You can dig around Instagram or Twitter, find that stuff. A lot of my NFTs are, are, uh, well, the stuff that I've sold, I I put on the website. I don't normally like advertise anything through my website, but I've got prints available there. Um, You know, just limited edition paper and canvas stuff. I am, I don't, I'm not trying to push any of this, that those happen as they happen. I, I, on the paper prints, I don't really make any money by the end of it. Um, they're just there in case people want them. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Canvas prints are always like, 
uh, more laborious, like big ones, you know, there's drawings on the back and it's like preserving them properly. You know, it's just like a whole thing. So I'm not really trying to sell any of this so you don't have to buy it. Sure, sure. <laughs> don't please. Uh, no. Um, uh, yeah, but it, it's there if people want it. And I've got a, like a game portfolio on there, uh, just stuff that I did in the industry. And you know, at some point I might like to have another job and, and uh, you know, like for a nice like AAA studio. So I'm not sure that my portfolio is at that level at this point, um, just because I haven't made a ton of game stuff in a long time. Um, but I'm trying to like fill it out as I go, like focusing more. Like, here's a concept for a character. This is a proper character sheet. It's designed properly. So if you want to see any of that stuff, you just go to the portfolio section the website. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, brother. Thank you once again for being here, and thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>